Ladies and gentlemen, the three knockdown rule on UFC Fight Pass is in effect. I'm Steve Kim, joined by our Mexican monster, Mario Lopez. Season's greetings. Salute. 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 Too much tequila already. <laughs> or should we say season's beatings? Yes. Since it's the three knockdown rule. Shout out to uh, Smoking Tim Frazier right here. And, and Tino, Tino on the edits. All right, the bout sheet for this show. We're going to talk <clears throat> about Bam Rodriguez. <clears throat> the Showtime finale, the day of reckoning in Saudi Arabia, and Ask Mario. But before we get started, want to let you know this podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, located just 15 minutes from downtown L.A., if you love poker, now is the time to play in the High Limit Crystal Room for a $50,000 total giveaway this holiday season. Come check them out. Mm. All right, now we begin. This past weekend, on the zone from the Desert Diamond Arena in Glendale, Arizona, and your latest unified champion with the IBF and WBO flyweight title of the world, Jesse Bam Rodriguez with a sterling effort stopping the slippery Sonny Edwards in nine. Mario, I got to tell you, Bam Rodriguez, the last couple of fights had flatlined a little bit after a great campaign in 2022. Boy, he was sharp as a razor this past weekend. Sharp as a razor and a tip of the hat and bravo, yes, bravo. Yes. to uh, Robert Garcia and his camp over there. He he just has a stable of little killers. He knows them yeah. guys tough and to continue working on their strengths. You know, the first few frames, it looked competitive yeah. and, and, and fairly even. Both uh, good little fighters right there. It just, Bam, Bam started to pull away, I'd say around the fifth, and he started to close that distance, started to figure out the timing and <laughs> really just started to connect with a lot of force and those punches were coming fast and furious and with bad intentions, started to bruise them up, started to cut them up, then started to really bust them up until eventually that was all she wrote. That was some elite pound for pound stuff yeah. in there. My guy should be in the conversation on after that performance for pound for pound status. And I, so a tip of the hat to him, and he really uh, was impressive. Like you said, got on the right track. Who knows what he was going through? Sometimes you just have tough nights, and yeah. sometimes the guys are just a little tougher. But man, he really ended the year on a high note with a lot of momentum. And what I love about Sonny Edwards is after he got stopped by Bam was how candid he was and honest in his assessment. He was, It was so refreshing. He's like... Yeah, Jesse's a hell of a fighter. I knew that before the fight. I knew that during the fight. And I sure as hell knew that after the fight. The better man won today. No excuses. That was so cool mm. to hear. <laughs> I just thought that was so refreshing and so cool to hear to make me uh, like him a little bit more. But Bam is a problem. Mm. And immediately I love when social media starts to want to all of a sudden play dream matchmaker and and they're talking about him potentially fighting a guy like Inouye. And they're like, well, why not? Terrence Crawford's willing to go up two weight classes. We're like, yeah, but when you only weigh a hundred pounds, barely, <laughs> when you give, go up those, that's significant. It's a more significant part of your body weight. And just people don't, the term casual gets thrown out a lot, but man, when you make statements like that, you truly are a casual. At age 23, Bam Rodriguez has gone from being a good young belt holder so now you get that velvet rope, you put it aside, say, come on in. You're now part of the elite. There's oh, no doubt about oh, it. Oh, he's in the VIP section. There's no doubt about it. He, he's getting the free bottle service. San all that Antonio's stuff. got themselves a little star. Yeah, and you look at Bam, it's from the beginning of 2022, went up to 115, beat Carlos Cuadras, and then Secret Set So Rung Vasai. Joe, just that right there. Right, and then he had a couple other tough fights that went the distance, and now he's beating Sonny Edwards, who's a slippery, tricky guy, and he didn't just beat him. He beat him up, mm -hmm. and he stopped him. And that's the type of stuff. Now, it looked to me like he was having a bit of issue making the 112. I get the sense in his next fight or two, he could be back up at 115. And the fight that's much more makeable and realistic, and I think would be another star-making launching platform, Juan Francisco Estrada. Mm. Now, that to me is another well-known veteran of the Superfly series that has graduated, that will probably be in the Hall of Fame. But that is an outstanding matchup. And one thing about Ben Rodriguez, he's a southpaw, but he's not a stinky southpaw. And again, I'm going to bring this guy up again because I think he's very talented, but he's got to learn this. This is the entertainment business. Shakur Stevenson has all the skills in the world. But what I love about Bam is that he understands transitioning from offense to defense, throwing to the body, throwing up top, counterpunching, leading, being physical, being a finesse fighter, and then closing the show. 
I'm just telling you, he reminds me a little bit of the great Mark Two Sharp Johnson in yeah, that respect. You've made that reference, and I think to your point, the reason I feel he's able to capitalize on all of that <clears throat> and really get the entertainment factor is because the atmosphere he's in over with the Garcias. Tell me a Garcia fighter who's boring. No. None of them. They don't exist. So they get it. That's their style. It's an appealing style. It's TV friendly. And it's the kind of style that if you can fight, it'll make you a star. So yeah, tip of the hat to, again, the camp and BAM. RGBA, you are not just made as a fighter. You are forged through fire. And I'll never forget, I'm at the gym in Riverside about four years ago. And I asked Robert, and he's like kind of in a downtime, and we're just talking. I said, hey, who's your next great fighter? Who's your next champion? Mm-hmm. And he goes, bam. I go, bam. Because yeah, a little guy from San Antonio. He didn't have a promoter. He did, time. and that's the thing. He had been in the bubble a couple times with top rank. Right. And he looked spectacular. Now, I know people at top rank said, oh, we got to sign him. Like, that's a star. The thinking was, well, what do we do with the small guy? Mm-hmm. Well, my view was this. Sometimes a guy is so good, it transcends size. Absolutely. Chiquita uh, Gonzalez, Gonzalez, Michael Carbajal. Yes. Sometimes it happens. And, it's been a minute since and those guys. given the fact he's a Mexican-American and he's from San Antonio, fight town. I expect him to now start being a legitimate draw. And I think Eddie Hearns got himself something there. But if you make that Estrada fight anywhere in the Southwest or near L.A., that's going to be a fight that I'm going to make sure that I'm at. I don't go to as many fights anymore. That's one I would circle on the calendar saying, I'm taking that night off. I'm driving over there, no matter where that is. San Antonio is one of my favorite towns, so yep. I'd love to go check them out. And they did a great job with Carbajal fighting out of Phoenix, yes. where he's from. And they really cultivated I love when they do that. Obviously, Terrence Crawford, originally in uh, from Omaha, and they started to do that. That's what they used to do back in the day. Yep. And so I love that. And the fact that they took a chance on BAM and it's paying off. Great for him, great for the sport. And Mario, going back to the fight real quickly, I'm with you. I thought the first four rounds, was, it was either 2-2 or maybe a slight 3-1 lead for Bam. I thought he was hitting a little bit harder, but the first four rounds, I'm thinking, it's going to be tough. Because mm-hmm. I thought it'd be a decision victory with maybe a little bit of controversy for Bam, given the fact we're in the United States, he has a home canvas advantage. But that fifth round, when he started to land combinations, which I've never seen on Sonny Edwards, and again, Power matters when everything else is equal. And for a guy like Sonny Edwards, who prides himself on being elusive and almost unhittable at times, to get hit the way he did and the layering of the attack from body to head and then from body back to head and then vice versa and then with a two-fisted attack. And that last knockdown in the ninth round where basically, bam, hit the left hand. Hit the left hand. and it it. It was really a short left hand. And, and I, I, I got to give the Sonny Edwards corner credit. They were not courageous. They understood. We're probably down on the scorecards. Our guy really cannot break a smoke ring. We're going to cut it. They did their jobs, and it's a star-making performance. He's what, 23? 23. Give me another 23-year-old with a more impressive resume. Probably isn't one. Probably is not one. Right? That's it's a very impressive resume. And if he should go up to 115, this is the, this is the elite. Juan Francisco Estrada. Kazuko Ioka, very highly accomplished Japanese fighter. Very impressive. Chocolatito, Roman mm. Gonzalez. I don't really know his status as an active fighter anymore. And then Junto Nakatani, who I believe in February will be moving up in weight. So that's another fight down the line. He's uh, going to have options. Uh, yes, he's going to have some options. All right, moving forward here on the three knockdown rule on the same night from the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In the immortal words of boys to men, it's so hard to say goodbye. It is the Showtime finale. Uh, what took place on this night, David Morrell blows out Senna Agbeko in two. Jose El Rayo Valenzuela blows out Chris Colbert in six. And then Robert the Ghost Guerrero winning a 10-round decision in the hot tub time machine bout mm. against Andre Berto. Uh, before we get to the memories of Showtime, Mario, David Morrell, he's the very definition of high-risk, low-reward. Low Who in the world at 168 with any type of profile will want to face a guy that's 10-0 and 0 with nine knockouts? Because I, I think he's the real thing. Believe. I'm just telling you right now. I don't care if it's the eye test or I'm making an assumption. He looks real. No, he passes the eye test for sure. He's quick, he's strong, he's dangerous, he's explosive. He's not a guy you want to face unless you have to. Right. And if you're a champion, I don't I don't see you wanting to jump in the ring and prove anything. Uh, against this guy. I don't think Benavides has mentioned him. I don't care who you are in the... the oh, he mentioned him, and then he forgot about him. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I, yeah, that's why, because I forgot that he mentioned him. Um, he's a dangerous individual. I think 
he's really going to have to pay his dues, um, unfortunately. And I don't think we're going to see him in the mix uh, anytime soon because of the caliber fighter he is with low TV IQ. Yeah, you know, here's EQ, the thing. Yeah, well... The thing about Morell is interesting. He has a WBA regular belt. They gave him one of those titles. And people say, well, now he's a titleist. In a situation like this, I, I believe it is an inconvenience and something that hurts him. You know why? Because now he can't be mandatory to anybody else. Mm. Now you could just say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a WBA champion, so he's not rated anywhere else. And, and look, if you are a Canelo Alvarez, who's the top dog at 68, um, you're thinking, I want to make money. That guy brings nothing to the table. And unlike an Andre, he's a real 68-pounder, and he can bang. Mm. Morel, to me, is the most dangerous type of Cuban in this sense. Not only does he have the Cuban boxing IQ, he is a daredevil, unlike a Rigando. Right. He's the un-Cuban Cuban boxer, right. and he can hit through people. No, well-schooled, fundamentally sound, tough kid. Outside of Benavidez and Canelo... I'd probably rank him third, to be honest. Third, Don't third. you think? And, and maybe, if we, well, I actually like to see how he matches up with both. If you're Benavidez and you're waiting, waiting for that big payday against Canelo... I'm going to tell you the right thing. The one guy you don't face is Morrell. Mm-hmm. That's the one guy that you treat like absolute poison. Right. So the, I just look at him and I'm like, man, I don't know. This is where the unfairness of the business of uh, right. boxing is, is that he's going to be punished for his own talent mm. and how dangerous he is. That's where you wish there was an element of the UFC because... Right. Get in there. You'd, you'd have to get in there. Right. You'd have to get in there. Uh, Mario... Jose El Rayo Valenzuela, he left no doubt this time. I I thought when he fought on the undercard of Caleb Plant and Benavides, I thought he eked it out. I thought he built an early lead, thought he did enough to win. Well, sometimes when you bring your own judges, uh, there is no doubt. He made made that $50,000 bet with him, right? And then he said, uh, don't worry about it, kid. Christmas spirit. Christmas spirit. I thought that was very generous. And then then he had an attitude with him. No, no, one and one. We're still one and one. We're back. I thought. Fool, I just let you slide 50000 50, I, I would have said thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you and shut up. <laughs> but yes, you're right. It was no doubt. There was nothing competitive about it, and I don't think we need to see it again. And really, if you look at it, he's 2-0. 2-0. And by the way, El Rayo, the one loss that he had that was legitimate, he got sparked out by Edwin De Los Santos. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'd like to see the winner. I'd like to see a rematch of that fight because... There's no doubt this time around, he will not overlook De Los Santos. He's not going to get careless. Right. Winner of that, to me, would be much more legitimate as an opponent for Tank Davis. Let, let, let's just figure out the business. There's different sides of the street. But mm. El Rayo is one of those long, lanky punchers that just has really heavy hands. So, I, and I think he's going to be a player at 35. So, Mario, that's it. 37 years of Showtime boxing has Man. come to an end. And I just really think about it. My whole time as a boxing fan, Showtime and HBO had been a part of it. I know. Now they're not. Now there's our, none. That was our era, bro. Wow. We talk about a lost or going to be a missed era. And as I think back, we already did our postpartum with HBO. As I think back of Showtime, just the first thing that comes to mind is there was a Tyson era for a while. Then there was a Chavez era. Right. right. Right? So the fight, those fights, that's really our youth. And then, of course, there was the infamous Jose Luis uh, Castillo and Diego Carrera. No, that's not fight. infamous. That's the greatest fight I've ever been at. March, uh, May 7th, 9th, 2004. Oh, I know. Greatest, I fighter, greatest fight I'll ever be at. I'll never be one at one better. And that's a, and that's a bold statement. Right. Um, well, you were at the Vasquez Marquez fights, too. That was one in three. And the, were... the, the, by the way, the third one, nobody left. And that's when it became the punch bowl. Those were pretty good, yeah. man. People, Those were good. People don't realize that in Carson, whatever they called it, the Home Depot yeah. Center. I was there one of them, too. Oh, yeah, here's the thing. got shattered. They actually had fights there for years. No one cared. Yeah. But it was on that night, it became a fight hub. Right. It became something. So I look at that. I also look at the Jay Larkin era. Great yes. rights, no fights. That's right. Then it became the Mayweather place. Then that's it became right. the portal for the PBC. And look, you can have different feelings about it. 
But, you know, when they ran that montage during that broadcast, some of the great memories, because their first fight they ever did was Marvin Hagler against John the Beast Mugabe. Wow. Right. So that's where it all began, because Top Rank was actually kind of doing business with them. Got yeah. Aaron into trouble with HBO from it. And then Don King. And then of. Don King actually took it over. Exactly. Uh, alongside Frank Warren. So right. great fights like uh, Nigel Bennett against Gerald McClellan was one of those fights that was on Showtime. So they did a lot of fights in England. Not to deviate too much, but isn't there a Don King documentary coming out? Well, I think our guy, Curtis Schoon, is going to be making that a part. I've actually helped out in getting some of the interviews. So that's going to be real interesting. That looked looked interesting. But Don King, for about 10 years, ran Showtime boxing. Well, in those 10 years, that's when Chavez was really... And look, they also helped develop Felix Trinidad. Yes. Julio Cesar Chavez really became popular, not on HBO, but it was really on Showtime. on Showtime. Because you talk about like the Mexican holiday, the Cinco de Mayo or the Mexican Independence Day holiday. Those are with Chavez during the years that Mike Tyson was in jail. Mm -hmm. So when he fought Camacho, that was on a Showtime pay-per-view. I remember that. So those those are some great memories. Look, everything in this business, uh, in the entertainment business, that's what boxing is, is going to evolve and it's all digital. But I can honestly say this, uh, it it left an indelible mark on me as a young person and someone that got into this business. When they're showing highlights of all those fights, I knew exactly where I was. Like my mind actually went back to where I was sitting, who I was with, that particular fight party. I'm thinking, this has been a big part of my life. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it resurfaces at any point? No. That's just it, huh? Bob Arum told us this about four years ago when he was sitting in the seat. He said the, the those networks, HBO and Showtime, the the they office. are now about the succession, the Sopranos. They are not. They're not in the sports business. The only they're reason. Not. I, the only reason I'm surprised to hear that is because there are so many streaming platforms out there. Live content is yeah. still incredibly valuable. It is. So why wouldn't you want to embrace that if you have it? <sighs> I like guess. But you know what hurts boxing though? It's so fractured. Like when yeah. Amazon when Amazon gets into the NFL, they're getting into the NFL. When a network gets into boxing, you're really getting into a one company. Isn't Amazon getting into ironically this the the PBC? It is, but the PBC dip. though. Right. I mean, look, I am. I don't think of this as like this sad. Would, I'm going to pour some out into pour my some mouth. Out, pour some out right there. Right, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. All this is is a different platform that's going to be a portal for a company. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Amazon, in Japan, they've been paying big money for Inouye fights, what they'll talk about in a few minutes, for a couple of years now. So this is really nothing new. Hmm. Everything, like Bob Arum once told me, nothing ever changes, nothing ever stays the same. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what it is. Showtime had a, a brilliant 37-year run. Hell of a run. Hell of a run. And let's just give them a final round of applause. Yes. All right, and we come back. Uh, more of a three-knockdown rule on the UFC Fight Pass. We return with the fight preview. This podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, located just 15 minutes from downtown L.A. If you love poker, now is the time to play in the High Limit Crystal Room for a $50,000 total giveaway this holiday season. For more info, go to HustlerCasino.com. And we're back on the three knockdown rule on the UFC Fight Pass. Hey, if you want to get involved with the three knockdown rule and sponsor our fine program, we still have slots available Please reach out to us by emailing info at boxbid.io. Once again, that's info at boxbid.io. Boxbid.io is an online platform that is launching soon that helps public figures and professionals in the world of boxing get sponsorships. We are proudly working with boxbid.io. All right, this Saturday from Saudi Arabia, it's the Day of Reckoning on The Zone pay-per-view. A stacked lineup of heavyweight fights. Anthony Joshua takes on Otto Wallin. Deontay Wilder takes on Joseph Parker. Jarrell Big Baby Miller takes on Daniel Dubois. And then also, special feature, it is the return of the non-fighter of 2023, Dimitri Bivol, defending his WBA light heavyweight title against Lyndon Arthur. Mario, big news. Last week, Mike Coppinger broke the news on ESPN. There's an agreement in principle. It's got, still got to take care of some business. On March 9th, if Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder come out victorious, they're going to clash finally. Yes. Is the fight a little late? It is. It is, it is. but I'll take it. I'm yeah. still intrigued by the fight, yeah. considering where both fighters are right now. I think we might actually get a more exciting fight, being that the fighters now 
aren't necessarily meeting at the peak of their powers. So I'm looking forward to that, and we'll have some clarity in the heavyweight division. It's interesting to see which guy is more vulnerable <laughs> to being tripped up here. Now, Otto Wallin is undefeated, and I was there ringside. He nearly messed up the rematch between Fury and Wilder. Yes. I, I will never forget being there when he cut Fury. I remember that. And ringside, everyone was like, oh, Uh-oh. God, please. And, and I'm just going to tell you, politically, if the roles were reversed, that fight would have been stopped in round four and five. Yeah, yeah. Otto Wallin is a little bit small. But he's a well-schooled technician, pretty good little athlete. I, I want to see if Anthony Joshua was a little bit more assertive than what we've seen the last fight or two. Josh, uh, Joseph Parker, I just get the sense he's there to be there. So I, I think Deontay Wilder is going to be explosive. Eventually, that right hand will detonate. He'll take care of business. And I think Big Baby Miller... You know what? I think he's going to beat Daniel Dubois. I think he's going to get inside and do his business. Mario, D- Dimitri Bivol, I'm getting the sense that this, uh, he's, cause he's made some comments that this is a two-fight deal. I'm just wondering, is there any chance that if Bivol wins this weekend, your boy, the human wrecking ball, oh, yeah. better be have wins in early January, could we have a Saudi showdown for all the marbles at 175? Wow. That'd we be better. You yeah. know, that's the fight that I wanted to see most 2023. Yeah. So, of course, we always get boxing. We always get the fights we want in boxing a little bit later than we uh, than we should. But if that happens, that needs to happen early uh, in the year. And that's one of the most fights I'm most intrigued by and looking forward to. Yeah, Better Bev is now creeping to the age of 40. Hmm. Uh, one thing about Deontay. He's well-preserved for He though. is well-preserved because he doesn't fight that often. doesn't make it to the dance. He, he's like yeah. a sports car. One spark plugs out of place and it's in the garage. Hmm. One thing about Deontay Wilder. He is... A guy that I believe is well-preserved, but again, you were there at that fight, that third fight with Tyson Fury. He got banged up a lot. He got put through the meat grinder. He's only fought three minutes since. Hmm. That was in 2021 when he he lost to Fury. I'm interested to see what what he's got left here in the tank. He uh, will work out once in a while at Brickhouse Boxing Club, where uh, we're all frequent. But I haven't had a chance to, to see him, but everybody says he looks sharp. Yeah, him and Malik Scott put on some of the greatest training videos I've ever seen. I mean, they look explosive. They look powerful. But there's an old saying. It always looks good against the mitts or the heavy bag. And yeah, I, I just bag. wonder, though, um, given the fact in the last two years or so, he's only been three minutes of live action. I want to see what happens if Parker actually pushes back and does not run into a punch the way Robert Hellenius did. The late rounds should be interesting if he's able to hang in there. I mean, think about how long ago it was that Deontay Wilder fought. That's when the Padres made that great comeback that same night against the Dodgers. That was two baseball seasons ago. Wow. That's how long Deontay Wilder has been out of action. So he's a bit of an unknown coming into this bout. Well, at least Anthony Joshua has been a little bit more active. Mm-hmm. Mario, we're going to actually be talking about this next week for the season uh, year-end finale of the three-knockdown rule. Early Tuesday morning from Tokyo, Japan. Tuesday. That's Tuesday. tripping Bonsai. Bonsai. Those Japanese do things a little the different Japanese up there. Japanese have no shame. They, they don't. Uh, on ESPN Plus, for the undisputed junior featherweight title of the world, Nao Inoue takes on Marlon Tapales. Mario, those Inoue training videos, that guy, I think he's the most explosive fighter in the game today. I agree. And he generates so much torque in his punches. Unreal. And yet he's still unbalanced. Just, I, 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 it's coming from his hips Core he's in his his core, but he really knows how to talk about turning on your punches. Man, it's explosive, and you see why guys get touched and and get knocked out. It's it's just a great combination of balance, torque, explosiveness. He knows how to put his punches together. He gets better every time out. No, the kid's a star for a reason. Yeah, and the one thing with Tapalis, I'm still not sure he beat MJ Akhmadaliyev, but he's a tough guy. But he's available. Uh, like I said, you don't exactly need a Google map to find him. Hmm, that that's works gonna, well for anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and that's going to be a bit of an issue. And if Inouye should win back-to-back undisputed titles in a 12-month stretch, hmm. and again, we talked about this with Tim Bradley last fighter week, you year. blow out Stephen Fulton, who was considered the number one fighter, and let's say he takes care of Topolis within the first three, four rounds, it is going to be very difficult, in my view, given the fact he fought twice instead of just once, not to make him the fighter of the year for 2023. I would have no issue with that. Uh, Also, news and notes here as we wrap it up on this segment. 
Mario, Super Bowl weekend, top-ranking ESPN are going to be doing a card on Thursday night, February 8th, from the Mandalay Bay where the Flying Fishes play. And it's being reported, our guy, the wayward son, Tiafimo Lopez, is going to return against Jermaine Ortiz. And maybe that's a prelude to a Puerto Rican Day parade shootout with Subriel Matias. Wepa! I'm not mad at that fight. That's a good little fight. It is. That's a tough little fight. That's not a gimme or a layup at all. And it's going to keep him sharp. And like I said last week, the fact that he wants all the smoke with Matias, that's... That's incredibly impressive, and I would try to catch him early as opposed to him getting more seasoned. Um, with that said, I still want to see him in the mix with the Haney's, with the Garcia's, with the Tank, should he ever move up. I'm getting tired of these Twitter wars, man. What is the latest now? What was the drama? Can we talk about for well, a second? That will be spoken about okay. later, but I, 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 I'll just say this. At a certain point, and we've talked about this, uh, do weight classes matter anymore? Uh, but now people are basically making their own rules. But we'll get into it a little bit later. As for Tiafimo Lopez, look, I, I don't like the fact that he did not fight after June. He looked great against Josh Taylor. Yeah, he had all the momentum. And he should have been the headliner on the Super Bowl uh, weekend, not the Heisman Trophy. That's one of ESPN's major dates. What's that date? What's that date? Uh, it was first week of December. December, right? And the lead-in is a Heisman Trophy ceremony, which always gets a big number. That's always his date. So there's a lot of uh, eyeballs on it. And guess what? My understanding is, no matter what he says, his minimum is like two and a half, three million. Get out there and do your job. That's a good way to go into holidays. It's a great way. It, 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 it pays for a lot of Red Rider BB guns, okay? So it, what's done is done. You can't do it. So I'm, I'm at least glad he's getting out into the beginning part of 2024. But he has to understand one thing. And, and when you're right about Tiafimo, his body is explosive. It's elastic. It is solid. It is well-built. He's an unbelievable athlete. But what is the one thing that you cannot turn back? Time. Time. Yeah. time. Your physical prime is almost like a carton of milk. And once that date expires, there's no getting it back. Don't you're, waste it. You're exactly right. And not, again, to deviate too much from the subject, but we saw that this past weekend when Colby Covington fought Leon Edwards in the main event of the UFC. He was almost out of the octagon for two years. Mm. And you could really see how it caught up with him. He looked older, right? slower, not as sharp. And it was a big reason. It was a close fight, but it was a big reason, I think, for the loss you got to stay active. Uh, once again, activity matters. Mm. All right, moving on to the Ask Mario portion of the three knockdown rule. Here's one from Carl Brandt. Okay. Whom does Mario think Canelo will fight on Cinco de Mayo? Would La Raza tolerate Munguia as the opponent in a showcase fight for Canelo? If Munguia looks good against Ryder, which we've already seen Ryder's a tough guy, then yeah, I think that could be an exciting, fun fight. If he were to face Munguia... In May and Benavides in September. That's solid. That's no complaint. That's fantastic. Right. He's able to do that. And I think they both do big business. Based on what you saw a couple weeks ago, would you rather see Canelo against Mungia, provided that he looks good and gets out clean against Ryder, or Jamal Charlo? I'm not so sure I saw enough for Charlo that I want him to be the second Charlo brother to get butchered by Canelo. No, and there's rumors that Benavides may want to face the other Charlo brother just to kind of eliminate that mm. possibility. The only other fighter that I'd be okay with, and I think the public would be okay with, the only one outside of Munguia and Benavides is if he were to face Terrence Crawford. Oh, okay. Even mm. though it's completely different, but because that's... Star power. Star, Star power, power. Then I think that would be okay. Outside of those three fights, then I think he's going to get, uh, he'll be given a hard time. Here's one from Kevin Eleven. Is Jesse Rodriguez versus, <laughs> is Jesse Rodriguez versus Inouye possible at 122 for 2024? Again, um, he just won a title or unified at 112. He's probably going to move up to 115. Bro, it's like 25% of his body. Right. You and, can't do that. And in a way, is is going to try to be undisputed at 122. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. two. And here's the other thing. My understanding is, in a way, sooner rather than later, is going to be at 26. Mm. Now, personally, as soon as in a way becomes undisputed, as I am making a uh, kind of a prediction without making a prediction, I kind of want in a way to face a few guys at 22. 
I, I wouldn't mind him fighting an MJ Akhmadaliev. Uh, Goodman, the guy out of Australia, is a solid fighter. Mm-hmm. Or Louis Neri, the hard-nosed Mexican. Yeah, he's good. There are some solid fights at 22 where he doesn't necessarily have to really move up immediately right. to the featherweight class. Here's another one from Carl Brandt. If Canelo won't fight Benavidez next, should Benavidez press for a fight with Morrell? Uh, I guess he should, but he's not. That <laughs> he's would, not. That wouldn't make good business sense for him right now, too. I think he's paid his dues enough to where he deserves a shot uh, with Canelo, and you wouldn't want to throw a monkey wrench in it at this point when he's so close, yeah. theoretically, to, to face Canelo. So I would, I think Morrell needs to pay his dues a little bit more. If anything. Yeah, it's only 10 fights. Exactly. Only 10 fights. Keep that in mind. Here's one from Ivan Arroyo, who asked, uh, I've just watched Digstown recently and was wondering, besides the Underrated. obvious choice of Rocky, outside of Rocky, what are your other favorite boxing movies? Good, good, uh, good question. Um, and I do like Digstown. Honey Roy Palmer. Oh, yeah. Remember Honey Roy yeah. Palmer? Yeah. Uh, Oliver Platt, James Woods. Yeah. It's a great, great film. My other favorite boxing movies, aside from the Rocky franchise, Raging Bull, of course. Um, Hurricane with Dustin, uh, with Denzel Washington's mm-hmm. great Cinderella Man. Is I good. like Cinderella Man. The Fighter, my boy Walberg. Yeah. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of good ones. Um, who am I missing? There's so many. Okay, you know what's interesting? Huh. A couple months ago, I just happened to finally see On the Waterfront. Oh, with Martin, with uh, yeah. with Marlon Brando. And there was actually no boxing in there it. There is no boxing. It was <laughs> just thing. Yeah, he could have been a contender. Yeah, and everyone thinks about it. So I'm thinking, okay, I can't wait for the boxing scene. No, no, so no halfway boxing, through, yeah. I'm like, they're going to get to the boxing scene. You got some old school ones, like somebody up there likes me. Right. But Paul it is Newman, funny yeah. because everyone looks upon that as such an iconic line. Yeah. And, they, and everyone thinks it's a boxing movie. It's really not. It's just the well, guy. Even the boxing movies aren't really boxing movies. They're, they're not. They're, they're but that all, one didn't even have any boxing at all. Correct. You didn't see a single boxing glove. You didn't yeah. see a boxing ring. Cinderella, now that I'm looking at Cinderella, Cinderella Man was really good. So was Hurricane, The Fighter, all Oscar nominated. Million Dollar yeah. Baby, all Oscar Did you like nominated. Gladiator? With Russell Crowe? No, the one I was with, like, that's not a boxing no, movie. No, <laughs> the one with, uh, the one that, uh, what? Cuba Gooding. Wasn't he in a boxing movie? I don't know, brother, okay. but if I don't remember it, then yeah, that's why not. All right, yeah. here's one from Adam Logan. With Bam putting in a performance confirming he is the future of the little badasses, who is on Mario's <laughs> Mount Rushmore of pint-sized pugilistic phenomenons? Uh, Chiquita Gonzalez, 100%. I was at those fights with him and Carbajal, one of the best. First million-dollar payday for guys yes. that size, by the, the way. First one, it was at Las Vegas Hilton. 1993. Remember that? Yes. I remember that. Both those guys, Carbajal and Gonzalez... Then I probably put too sharp. Yes, my personal favorite. How about chocolatito? And, and chocolatito. Is this going back with chocolatito? In a way, in a way, only because in a way hasn't been on the scene that long. But oh, you know, he's he'll, been he'll, a he'll, champion for about seven years, though. He's actually yeah, had know, a run. But, but here in, uh, I'm just looking back in yesteryear, mm-hmm. just off, off yeah. the top of my head, those guys. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, in a way, is going to be George Washington, Johnny there. Tapia. Oh, Johnny Tapia, yeah, he's a little guy. I guess he considered. Oh no, I, yeah. I put in Johnny Tapia too for entertainment. Vita purposes. Loca, yes, yeah, I remember him, Danny Romero. You know, I just yes. uh, it, it is interesting. Mark Two Sharp. What are Johnson. we calling little? What's the cutoff for little guys? Uh, below, you had to have started your career below bantamweight, don't you think? Below bantamweight. Okay, yeah, because you can't get into featherweight, That's right? Because too. oh, wait a minute, hold on. We should we should, we should be ashamed of ourselves. Ooh. Benito. Oh Ricardo my God, the Lopez. Best. Ricardo Lopez, that's number one. I yeah. can't believe it. That's going to be my next dog. Folks, we are doing 50 push-ups I'm so sorry. Ricardo Finito yeah, Lopez. Finito, I mean, come on. Caught. No, he's yeah. the best. No, he's the best. Maybe the most he's number one. fundamental he's George Washington. fighter. I mean. Absolutely. I, but I'm just telling you, Mark Two Sharp Johnson was the first great fighter I ever got to cover as I got on the yeah, scene. Yeah, but Finito was next level, dude. In 96, 97. Mario, I literally saw him against Alejandro Montiel. It was a dirty fight. All the Mexicans were throwing stuff at him. He got so mad in the 12th round, and he was winning the fight. He basically put his arms down by his side, and he said, go ahead, hit me. And he just stood right in front of him. And Alejandro Montiel threw like 50 punches. Could not. T- I've never. People say, did you ever see Willie Pep not throw a punch and win a round? I said, no, I saw something better. I saw that. Because I mm. saw it up close. His last fight as a forum fighter before he went to Cedric Kushner. And Tushar Johnson, in my view, is probably among the top four or five pure boxer, puncher fighters I've ever seen. But I Finito, agree. Yeah. But Finito, you got to put number one, bro. Beautiful yeah. fighter. And undefeated. Yeah. Two. Then there's that. He's incredible. He was absolutely incredible. And what a textbook. Just 
fantastic fighter, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't. Yeah, talk so am I. So am I. You caught me off guard. Yeah, and by the way, he, we got there though. Those Don King cards were so deep. He used to be on the non-televised portion Dude, at times. That's how deep Dude, Don's was so card. good. He was so good. Um, here's one. For, oh, by the way. This ties right into it. Um, I met my friends, uh, Liz Arenas. You saw, you met her, Nandy, uh, from the uh, you know the canine dog fighting thing. Not dog fighting, the canine cops. Damn, Kim. Laver- Laverne. <laughs> I'm at their Christmas party. I'm watching the fights. They got the Showtime Look for Michael me. Michael Vick over here. I'm, I'm watching next to you. <laughs> uh, the Zone, and all of a sudden, your name is trending all over. And I go, "What did you do now?" And so this is the question to Mario: How good of a time was UFC 296? You made quite the entrance. Got to give you credit. I like that we drink tequila on yeah. the show now. <laughs> Bro. I've been trending these last few months for the most random stuff. First, it started off with Jeezy, the rapper, and Jeannie Mai. Remember that? You homewrecker, you. Bro. You homewrecker. I, I, I was having this alleged affair. I was like, wait, what? I was catching straight bullets. They live in Atlanta. Oh, I so you are denying it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how that started. That was wild. And that was so unfortunate. And for some reason, I was trending on that. God bless them. Then I started trending because people didn't think I was Mexican for some reason. Orale. With a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah I found that. With a name like Mario Lopez. That's That was wild. Remember that? Then I started trending because of my black eye. People started no. thinking I was doing fight clubs and all this <laughs> stuff when I got a knee in jiu-jitsu. And then I started trending this past weekend because of the UFC fights. And all of a sudden, um, part of Trump's posse as I'm yeah. coming out. It was the most random wild stuff I've been trending for these last few months. I've just been getting a kick out of it. But as far as this past weekend, you know Dana White. Is uh is, good, is my buddy. He's a good friend of mine. We had dinner the night before, and the next day was the last pay per view card of the year. Great card, stack card, always delivers. What in the most vicious one punch knockouts I think I've ever seen with Josh Emmett. I'm gonna show it, the sound there, incredible. More on that later. Anyway, we're in the back in a VIP area, and he told me that. President Trump was coming. I said, oh, okay. You know, because he like yeah. he likes to come to these fights. It's like a campaign rally right there. Yeah. They, he gets this huge applause and everything. So it's a real tight space. And he remembers me from interviewing him from The Apprentice all this time. He was always very nice yeah. to me and whatever. So he says, okay. Uh, Dana says, let's go out to the arena now. Um, the main card's going to start. So I told my buddy who's with me, I said, hey, let's get in front. Yeah. Because I don't want to get caught up in this stuff and People, you know, social media start getting crazy. So I go first. And as we go, it starts getting more crowded and we start to squish up. Well, the Secret Service tells me, Uh-oh. Mr. Lopez, you got to get back. I said, I'm trying to get through. I don't, I just, let me get through. He's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Lopez, you got to get back. So what am I going to do? It's Secret Service. So I go back and Mr. Trump and Dana go in front of me. And I, I was like 15 feet back. But when you look at the camera, it looks like I'm directly behind him. And I look like in the fighter's camp coming out. And if you would have put your hands on his shoulders, it would have been like exactly. Golovkin with uh, Abel exactly. Sanchez. I'm like, oh my gosh. Dude, it was like a rock star welcome. It was like Elvis walked in the building and everybody's, ah. So it was kind of cool to kind of experience, but at the same time, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a bunch of stuff people are thinking. I'm not. Oh, you got it. All right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so then I, I go to my seat and then Dana sits me directly behind President Trump, literally right behind. And he's a big dude. He's like 6'3". Yeah. He's like a big dude. So he's talking to Dane, he's talking throughout the, he's really into, he's really into the fights. All of a sudden my phone starts blowing up that I'm, I'm trending. I'm like, why am I trending? <laughs> and I was genuinely curious. Like, what did I do now? I didn't do anything but walk out of no. this. And, Cause all the VIPs yeah. out there walk out of the backstage green room mm-hmm. area. And then all of a sudden people are assuming he just made me secretary of state yeah, <laughs> or something. Yeah. I got, it was the craziest thing. You know me and you follow me on social media. I never talk about politics. Not my thing. I don't care. I always do people. You do you. You do what you think is best for you and your family. God bless you. I don't want to alienate anyone. I don't want anyone to turn the channel. I don't want to give them an excuse to turn the channel when I'm on TV. I'm in the people business. That's not my thing. You do you. So I never talk about it. But people start making up their own things right. and start creating this, the whole narrative. I got a big kick out of it. And it was, it was just a trip, but yeah, that's what happened. At what point in this walk did Kid Rock join you? 
<laughs> yeah. dude. It was wild. And so my boy Wahlberg was there, Mark Wahlberg, and he came late and he was on the other side. It was so crowded. These, Like I said, people come to these UFC events. Or, bro, the doors opened at 2.30. There was tons of people waiting to get in. Yeah, and let, let me just tell you something. As someone that's been in the MGM Grand a lot or any arena, they generally, those corridors and those hallways, especially as the fights are going on, it gets crowded. In fact, they don't even let people in during the rounds. Exactly. And, and, so, exactly. Uh, and then you got the secret server, the whole thing. Yeah. So it's crazy. But... <laughs> it was it was wild. The whole thing was wild. Then you know we had Jared Leto and my boy Wahlberg, Jack Black, and it, it was it was a fun eclectic group. But I happen to be sitting right oh, yeah. there, <laughs> and I'm and I'm just glad that uh, not walking behind him at that point was Bill Burr's wife, or it would just been a one middle finger for about oh 20, ten minutes. Uh, last question here from Chris Andre Boxing. Chris does an excellent excellent YouTube boxing channel. Very very good anal. Um, um, analyzing of the sport and he has a serious question we've talked about this we've seen some wonderful skill sets on display over the last couple of weeks in boxing but there's also been a distinct physical difference between fighters what are the realistic solutions to stop the weaponization of weigh-in times so we can see a more even playing field okay look i i can speak to this just growing up wrestling and having to make weight and even in jujitsu now okay this whole weight bully weight bully that's bs if you make yeah. the weight, you make the weight. You make the weight. Those are the rules. Devin Haney, God bless him, tip of the hat. Huh. He made the weight. He balloons at thirty yeah. pounds. Then that's that. Change the rules. Change the rules. Yeah. Then if those are the rules, there's no such thing as a weight bully. If you made the weight, you made the weight because yeah. there's plenty of guys that don't, as you know. So the fact that you are disciplined enough and you're starving yourself, killing yourself, doing whatever you have to do to make that, God bless you, you deserve to fight at that weight class. And we saw how when he was at 135, using Haney as the example. He wasn't the same guy. He wasn't the same guy. Look, as he got a little older, he looked a little chinnier, didn't look as sturdy in his legs. Now these extra five pounds, he's uh -oh. like a completely different fighter. So I have no problem. If you make the weight, you make the weight. And if those are the rules, then those are the rules. Yeah. So everybody else doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. And But they're very selective. Sometimes certain guys do the exact same things. They don't make an issue out of it. But again, let me make this point. As some, we've discussed this in the past. If it was Commissioner Kim... I'd go, yeah, you're going to weigh in at 8 o'clock that day. That's it. But but here's the problem with the 24-hour weigh-in now, though. Mario, there's two things. Number one, it's not 24 hours anymore. Mario, they're literally actually doing the real weigh-in mm -hmm. sometimes at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they don't fight till about 8.30 p.m. the next day. So that's 30-plus hours. I here, understand. The, no, no. I, I understand, but hold on. Let, pause for one second. I understand, but that's the case for everyone. I'm with you. But here's the other rule, though. And they did this to Ryan Garcia because, you know, he was stretching oh, himself. Oh, the dehydration. I hate that. Okay, no, no. But here's the problem. That weigh-in was not at 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. They actually said, oh, you're going at 3 p.m. Huh. It's almost like his team should have negotiated better. But anyway, putting that aside, one thing the commissions exactly right. can do is just flat out say, hey, guys, every single weigh-in, no matter what you want to do with rehydration, you can negotiate it. But from our end... Our weigh-ins will always be at XYZ time. We're never deviating. You know what they do in jiu-jitsu when you compete? Don't you have to weigh in right as you go when in? we weigh in, then That's we step on the mat. Yeah. How can you, that, you're weighing at your natural weight. Right. You can't be, I mean, I guess you could be depleting yourself, but you could be But that's a real weight right class, there. though. But I, last time I competed, I weighed in five, right. six minutes later, I was competing. Is that wild? It is, and that's, you know Isn't what? that crazy? And you could say, <laughs> well, that shouldn't be that way. You know what's funny? Um, it's a little bit different sport, but I just want to point this out. I don't mind the day before weigh-in because I understand it, but they have bastardized it to a point that, number one, it's more than 24 hours now, and it's not even a set time, as I just mentioned. Also, the IBF is the only sanctioning body that after you weigh in on a Friday before the day of the fight, on Saturday morning around 8 or 9, you still have to be within 10 pounds of that said weight. Here's the problem. And this happened at the Golovkin-Daniel Jacobs fight. Because Golovkin was the unified champion and had the IBF and he wanted all three, all of his remaining belts, Daniel Jacobs just said, no, no, I just want to win. He blew it off. So until it's a uniformity in terms of those rules, guess what? Devin Haney is not breaking the rules. No, I hate to tell you I that. Give him, I, as a matter of fact, I give him credit because he kills himself to be able to make that weight. I hate rehydration clauses. I, that's all some BS, and I wish they didn't even allow it, to be quite honest, or they didn't even exist. 
as long as the rules are the same, as long as like everybody gets to weigh yeah. in at 8 a.m., not you weigh in at 8 a.m., you weigh in at 10 p.m., whatever, as long as they're all the same, I have no issue. Now, will people fight at a more natural weight class if it's, if yes. it's the way you had it? at least half a box. Absolutely, but it's just like that kid, I don't know if you saw this past weekend in a football game, he had those long flowing locks, right. and he got tackled, the guy grabbed his Legal hair. Legal tackle, by the way. Legal tackle, and he grabbed him. You know what I said to that? And everybody's all, oh, that's BS, it's not a goal. Well, he's got two options. Either one, run faster, or two, get a haircut. Get a haircut. Right. Because those are the rules. And if those are the rules, then right. you can play by it. But there's no doubt about it that if you are the B side fighter, depending on if you're squeezing yourself into a weight or you're facing a naturally bigger fighter who needs the, the rehydration time, they're going to gerrymander that weigh in. I just think that the major commissioners need to get together and say all of our weigh-ins are going to be at noon or whatever time and yeah. just keep it there and whatever clauses you guys want to put in in terms of, hey, you can't gain more than 15 pounds before you get into this arena tonight. I get it. But this whole notion that somehow now Devin Haney is the face of cheating. No, no he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's the face of discipline in my eyes. And also, uh, Ray Mancini used to tell me and Rudy Hernandez, same thing. When they would fight on, let's say, a Friday night, or for Ray Mancini, he would fight on CBS at 2 o'clock Central Time in Youngstown, Ohio. He said, Steve, you know, I had to weigh in at 8 o'clock that morning. Rudy Hernandez, when he won the Forum Tournament, I think it was Strohs, he won the first mm-hmm. tournament there, Chickenito's brother. He said, Steve, uh, we, uh, I had to get to the arena by 7. I was weighed in around 10. No, and, I know. That's so, how it is in wrestling tournaments right. as well. So when I was talking to some of the fighters backstage at UFC, talking about in their weight classes with the original eight in boxing, like Justin Gaethje, yeah. who I was talking to, I was like, how much you weighing right now? He's got a fight coming up, like in a few months. 185. You know what he fights? 155. There's no fat there either. My guy is Good solid. Grief. Okay? And I go, wow, bro, you don't struggle? He goes, nah. And he goes, once I start camp, I start. I make sure I don't get heavier than 175, so I'm about 175. Then he told me his method on how not until like a couple weeks out does he really start to right. take it down to 165. And then the last week, he really goes just water depletion to 155. Yep. Hyperhydration. It's the crazy. Salt, the salt but bath. He literally walks around 30 pounds heavier right. than his weight class. And that's why he goes, that's most of the fighters. Right. Right there. That's why. So it's crazy. But is that a weight bully? No, no, because that's what everybody's doing. Uh, Ray Mancini said, Steve, you let me weigh in under today's rules. I could have been a three division champion. And he doesn't say that with any bitterness. He's just saying, Steve, you allow me to rehydrate. He goes, I could have made 130. I could have made, I could have done a lot of things, but the rules are the rules. It, the people make it sound like Devin Haney gets his own set of rules. Right. Exactly. That's what, you know, that's what you know. Exactly. That's what's so weird about and, it. And going to Tank Davis. All I know is this about Tank, who's an excellent fighter. He's at 135, but he put some clauses on a on a guy at 140 to move down to 136, and he capped his weight, right? The morning of the fight in Ryan Garcia. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest problem I think Haney has. Well, we forget. When he fought Mario Barrios, that fight was at 140. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It turned out there was a rehydration clause for Barrios. So here's the problem with that fight. Look, you're not you're not very gangster if you're yeah. hedging all your bets um, with Tank is the bigger pay-per-view draw. But Haney is very accomplished and he's also selling a lot of tickets now. So so I'm not saying it's 50-50, but you're gonna have to show this guy some respect because he has a lot of things going in his direction. The problem is, and I felt this when I think we said it last year, I thought at 135 that tank would be too strong. And that Devin would be too vulnerable in the legs. I thought it was a decided advantage for Tank. Not anymore. But at 140, oh, I, I think it's flipped. So do I. I think it's completely flipped. So if you're Tank now and Leonard... You're, it's flipped if all things are equal. Yes. Not if you do the hydration clause. Right. Is, and if you do, then I don't know so much. That's why I don't think he should succumb. All right. So let, let's just go back to day of weigh-ins. Commissioner Kim has spoken. <laughs> uh, moving on to final flurries. Mario, I'm going to tell you right now. I'll tell you good people out there. My fellow Anita Baker fans. Okay, I'm just going to say this. When you go to an Anita Baker concert, just enjoy the concert. Do not bring out your phone. Do not try to videotape her. Don't even talk. Don't even sing along. Because I came to listen to her. Not you. But she's a little testy. A little testy with the audience in Houston. Oh, boy. Did you see that TMZ story? Dude, she's she's a bitch. I didn't realize what a diva she was. Wait, what'd you say? No, no. She's a little. And then disrespecting Babyface and all this. It makes me kind of like her more because she's like an OG diva. She's a little temperamental. She gives zeros. Hey, last thing before we get out of here. 
finally fired the coach and oh, the GM no, of the not, Chargers. You were the last Mohican. You you gave that guy 18 strikes. <laughs> you gave him 18 strikes. I kept telling you. Do we? Uh, my brother-in-law played for Harbaugh, and I think I mentioned this. He loses the locker rooms. Do, who do you think we end up with at the end of the day? Um, well, let's go back. By the way, when it was 42 nothing, I wasn't actually watching the game. Hey, by the way, Justin Herbert deserves a lot more credit because can you imagine he was able to kind of keep those teams yeah. within 500 without him look at how they get killed yeah um there's a theory i was talking talking to coach jb who says steve it, it, today's football is so offensive the problem with defensive coaches is they're not good at the game management they're not good at running a game and calling timeouts so you don't like belichick belichick is probably the anomaly to a certain degree because his game management's unbelievable but he's the best uh, yeah but here's the problem with, with him you have to take him as a gm that offense of the Patriots, it's the worst in the mm. league, and he drafted all those guys. Here, here's the, 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 look, I am a Harbaugh guy. He is odd. I mean, the guy drinks milk with this steak. Just makes me throw up. So he's an oddball. Guy wins. Mm. Everywhere he goes, he's never won at all. The job he did at Stanford is like winning a national championship, in my view. San Francisco, he was three yards away. Mm-hmm. 49ers. Um, Michigan, Michigan is now one. elite. Number They're now one. elite. Are you so you're saying because he get doesn't get along with everybody perfectly? You're turning him away. I'm not turning him away, but I, what I'm saying is you, you'll I feel you'll have success for a very short window, and then we'll be right back to square one. I guess it's hard to find your uh, Belichick, your Andy Reid, your Don guy that, Shula, your Don Shula, your guy that can be there. So I guess we take look. It's gonna be better than what we've had now. Well, think about this: Jimmy Johnson never stood or your at, Jimmy Johnson never stood at a job for more than five years, though. Even the Cowboys, yeah, because he was a vagabond. He was a vagabond. Yeah, he stood five years because that was just his nature. Like he would wow, wear everybody out, including himself. And he wrote about it because my nature is not to be Joe Paterno. Huh. And he said, my, the greatest job I ever had at University of Miami, I still had to get out of there because he didn't get along with the ministry. only ministry. five years there, too? Yes. Yes, I know. It's disappointing. No, I, but that's, huh. Look at his, I'm just that telling made, you. No, I know, but that makes me think Oklahoma State, then. five years. So, that's, that's but, but in those five years, you're like, that's a good run. That Hell was, yeah, no, exactly. I guess I'd rather take the So, yeah, I, I mean, think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And, like, there's no more 20-year coaches, in my view, outside of Mike Belichick. Tomlin's the last one. Huh? Right. And even with Tomlin, it feels like, you know, honey, I think it's time sleeping yeah. in separate beds. Damn, okay. So I'm just saying, if you get five years of the hardball that we've known, yeah, well, you would take that hardball. Well, I'll take it over what we have now. Yeah, so anyway, next week when we come back, we're going to talk about the Day of Reckoning. Bonsai. Bonsai. And Bonsai. Oh, in a way. I cannot wait to see. It's like a national holiday. I'm going to have my excited. Hello Kitty out as I watch. Anyway, all right, so anyway, this, that's it for this week's edition of the Three Knockdown Rule on behalf of Mario Lopez, Smokin' Tim Frazier, and Tino Dino. on the edits. This has been the Three Knockdown Rule on the UFC Fight Pass.